Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast, then, is to interview authors of new business books, get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses, all in a light, friendly manner. Today, my guest is Adi Pinar. Adi is an entrepreneur and founder of two global multi-million dollar companies and prides himself on the commercial and life profitability of his businesses. Adi's personal journey enabled him to discover a rich, fulfilling life that coincides with a sustainable strategy for success in the workplace. His concept of life profitability is now gaining momentum in the business world. We talked to Adi about his book titled Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. The book will provide you with a new perspective for becoming self-aware, recognizing your values and understanding your impact. An enriched life and a successful business are not mutually exclusive. In fact, the book will provide you with the first steps in building a business that is more sustainable, with increased options for you, your employees, and your community. Learn how to give yourself some space. Measure meaningful output and live with intention so that you can maximize profit that truly counts. So enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for having me, Lance. It's fantastic having you. Eddie, where am I speaking to you from today? Yeah, so um, I live out in uh, the winelands of, of Cape Town for uh, South African listeners. By the way, it's, it's such a kind of honor. Uh, this is the first uh, South African podcast I've done in absolute ages and the first one for the book. So like South Africans are would generally be familiar if you've traveled to Cape Town. I've uh, been fortunate enough. Uh, we live um, towards France Hook um, wow. in the winelands, um, slight, slightly quieter, um, very, very hot this time of year, but beyond that, uh, we've been kind of happy residents here for the last seven and a half years. That is awesome. And when it's not locked down, and we're lucky in South Africa not to be too locked down at the moment, what do you like doing for fun there in the winelands? <laughs> Dr- drinking wine, to be honest. Drinking um, wine. <laughs> I'm a bit of drinking wine. Um, like, so, to, totally didn't see that coming, right? Um, no, so I like, I'm not, don't actually, I'm not disingenuous about that. I'm a bit of a wine geek. I, mm. I truly love, like, except the drinking wine part, which is obviously fun, right? But I love <laughs> kind of your truly kind of your nerding out about wine, like both the just the kind of arts of making wine and kind of the how the, the nature and kind of the earth actually plays a part in that, but then also the commercial side of it. Um, I love to see like all those different cogs moving to eventually get kind of that liquid into a bottle of wine that then has a beautiful label or not um, that then tastes amazing or not. So wow. um, that's that's at least kind of one of the things I think kind of other hobbies, at least uh, I do. I, I do run. I've run a kind of full marathon sub four hours as well. Um, wow. Humble bragging there, uh, which I did. So I, I enjoy that. But beyond that, I um I admittedly don't have that many hobbies. Uh, <laughs> I, I came and st- I started drinking wine quite late in life and I really, really enjoy it now. In fact, I had quite a rough day at work the other day and I found myself at half past three pouring myself a glass of wine. And then I decided actually that wasn't good. I can't start drinking wine by myself on the couch. And so I poured it back into the bottle. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I mean, I, 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 I've heard the opposite, Lars. I've heard that, you know, pretty much, you know, in, in a time of pandemic, anything goes. Like previous rules of like, you know, is, is, is the Boeing kind of, you know, over yet? Like, you know, are we allowed to have a glass of wine? Like those, those rules don't apply in, in a pandemic. So I think like, th- you know, 3.30 in the afternoon on the couch, that sounds 
amazing to me. To no, uh, when it, I started my own business last year, one of, one of the biggest concerns, believe it or not, from my parents and particularly my mom, was she thought, are you going to start drinking during the day? <laughs> <laughs> that is, I would like. I mean, I, I hope you asked them like where did those two dots connect for? Her? Like, where does the one thing kind of you know, be, become a catalyst for this other concern about drinking alone during the day? Oh no! So, Eddie, you've had an extremely successful career as an entrepreneur, uh, which is not easy, and it's you know amazing or incredible or fantastic that you're so successful. Could you tell us about your journey? Where did it start, and, and what have you been doing as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so um, I guess the kind of journey, Lance, goes for me goes all the way back to, to high school. I can remember, you know, all the way through high school, worked on, I wouldn't call them businesses. Um, I think they were uh, projects at that stage. But trying to learn more about the kind of, you know, how capitalism actually works, like how kind of free market forces, all of those things work, and just picking up the, the I think, some of those skills that you need later in life as a professional or as an entrepreneur. So all the way through high school, um, went into kind of varsity, did a couple of things during varsity, one being an alternative kind of music record label. I was very, a very passionate punk at wow. the time. Um, and a modeling agency, which is on the total other side of the spectrum. So did, did loads of these things and eventually kind of, you know, halfway through varsity, because as you can tell by now, I, I did not study that much. Um, well, Much neither did I. <laughs> Perfect. So we, we have that in common, right? Yeah. So, um, but halfway through varsity, I got into into WordPress, the, the open source content management um, you know, a system or platform, mm. and started dabbling because I wanted a blog and I figured the best way to do that is to build my own on top of WordPress. And that eventually led me to kind of you know, 2007, you know, final months at varsity of my honors year building the first product that then became WooThemes and, and WooCommerce. And WooCommerce today is the biggest open source e-commerce platform in the world. Oh, wow. um, it, it probably rivals Shopify in terms of merchant volume, um, mm. even though kind of the data is, is, is not that publicly available, but it's in, in that kind of vicinity. That's the extent of it. And you know, WooThemes was, uh, I think, the, the great thing for such a global business and such a global scale. It was always a South African corporation. And most sure. people never knew this because our customer base was, was always international. So um, WooCommerce, you know, WooCommerce became the, the biggest part of WooThemes. Eventually, uh, I left in 2013 uh, to start something new because I had a bit of an itch. I needed a new challenge. Uh, started a new business called Convergio where we got into email marketing automation for e-commerce. So utilizing those same skills or experience of the e-commerce space that I had. That kind of, that got acquired, Convergio got acquired in August, 2019. Um, I spent some time with the acquirer last year, um, which was a first time and a different experience for me. Mm. And then I've recently kind of you know, worked um, and started working on a whole new startup called Cogsy. So congratulations on your book, Life Profitability. That's the main reason why I'm going to talk to you a bit about your other businesses towards the end. But we're talking about your book, Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. And I really enjoyed reading it. I'm trying to put a lot of those things into practice in my own life. Um, so Eddie, what led you to writing it? And can you give us a brief overview of the book? Yeah, so... Perhaps I'll start with just the kind of defining or explaining the concept of life profitability and then I can share the, the origin story there. So mm. the idea of life profitability, Lance, is this kind of, we all know as entrepreneurs, as business people, 
we'll understand the, the term financial profitability. It's a kind of a, a measuring stick that we use in our kind of daily lives if you're anywhere in the vicinity of the business world. And yeah. what I wanted to do with the book is I essentially wanted to acknowledge the, the flaws in that measurement. Um, and flaws in the sense that it's a very kind of narrow definition of what success actually looks like. So the idea of life profitability is really is how can I build a business or a career path here that is not just financially profitable, but is truly life profitable in the mm. most holistic, broadest, most diverse kind of wholesome sense of the word. I.e., like how can this thing that I'm working on, this work that I do, right? This ambition that I'm applying in a certain direction, how can that serve my whole life? And I think the kind of the, the origins in this, at least, um, kind of two prominent parts uh, of my kind of you know, my journey in Convergio. So this takes us back about kind of your know, five years, mm. where uh, big parts of my life completely fell apart. I was very successful in that kind of you know, financially profitable sense of the word, right? But almost all other parts of my life fell apart, and I got to a point where I realized that you know, on this path of ambition where I was so laser focused on success, this narrow definition of success, I created so much collateral damage elsewhere in my life and mm. accrued so many of these life costs. And I think like in realizing that and working with my therapist back in the day um, in kind of almost pivoting in my life and kind of acknowledging that there are other parts of my life that was neglected and I needed to kind of, you know, rebuild those bridges and I needed to kind of rebuild those relationships in some cases, and I needed to change my behavior significantly, uh, that really sparked this idea of, is there a way for me to go about building a business that is, you know, even kind of 5% or 10% better than what it was before? And, and that's ultimately kind of where in my team within Convergia, where we started kind of entertaining different kind of ideas. I mean, we at kind of one stage would word or communicate our mission as being, you know, a life and family first company, right? That mm. was the kind of the, the vocabulary we used before I eventually kind of, you know, coined the term life profitability. But it really is through kind of going through that experience of learning that this exclusive, almost exclusive, you know, this laser focus on ambition, monetary success, um, you know, ego relevance, all those things created so much other, you know, so many other life costs. And, then going back to my team and having this canvas in which we could essentially kind of experiment with some of these, I want to say radical ideas, just alternative mm. ideas, alternative ways of, of going about, you know, building a successful business that is also successful in the financial sense, but doesn't neglect all these other parts of life that is important. Sure. And I was going to ask you this question later in the interview, but I think I'll ask it to you now because you have said that there were repercussions of the, the way you were leading your life. And in your book, you, you talked about going to parties and you were the one on the couch you know, at the party, but on your laptop still working when you were younger. And what, what I wanted to ask you before you had this transition, do you think you could have been as successful as you are now if you had had sort of work-life balance or life profitability in your younger days? Or did you need to go through that period of your life to get where you are today? And I think that's a, that's a great question, Lance. And I, I think the reason, and, and it's a totally fair question as well, by the way, I think the, the biggest thing, because many of these business books, um, and I don't, by the way, consider, um, you know, uh, life profitability as a business book directly. I think it's more philosophical and spiritual to some extent, but yeah. many of these books are, you know, authors 
you know, in hindsight, looking back at their journey um, and trying to retrofit the narrative to that journey. So I think that's a very fair question to that extent. I, I honestly, um, I think being successful, regardless of whether it's in business or in other spheres of life, it generally requires a ton of hard work, compromise, sacrifice, yeah. all of those things. So I don't think that, I think, yes, I think all of those things would have been requirements in my journey as well. And I'm not trying to ignore the fact that I made those compromises, that I was so kind of narrowly focused. What I am proposing here is that I think that there was a slightly different way, right? And again, I think the biggest part, what I hope to do with the book as well is I'm not advocating that anyone you know, does kind of a 180 degree turn on their life right now. Mm. I think it is about making those small incremental kind of changes on a daily, weekly, you know, kind of basis. So yes, I do think that there are things that I could have done differently. I mean, for me, the best example that I have is with Wuthemes, uh, when we still had an office, we had an office in Cape Town that housed about 10 of us whilst the team was about 40 people distributed internationally. And I would go into the office around about seven in the morning, everyone else would get in line. I love those first two hours. Mm. And then I would leave about at, se you know, at seven. Again, crucially, I know that nobody is productive you know, knowledge worker is productive for 12 hours a day, right? Mm. Unless you're Elon shows, Musk, like, it seems. <laughs> well, Elon, Elon is a, a, obviously an alien, right? Which I think everyone agrees is worth as well, right? So, so yes, unless you're Elon Musk, right? But for the rest of us, I know that I was not productive for 12 hours. And mm. I know that we are an Xbox, um, which kind of fueled one of my other hobbies, which is playing FIFA, the, the game, right? So, yeah. But point being is I didn't have to do that. And I mean, doing that, I compromised on friendships. I compromised on time with my family. I compromised on my health, right? I probably didn't exercise as much back then because I was, I needed to be in the office. So yeah. that's at least one, I mean, that's maybe a simple example here, but there are many of those things I think in my life that, that I could have just, it could have changed and it would not have made a material effect or had a you know, material effect on the success that I ultimately experienced thereafter. Mm, mm. And, and life is all about choices and every now and again I have to like reassess my life and say okay you know where do, you know God is number one and family's number two and you know I'm a father number two you know whatever three and so to try and put those in balance and then you know say okay work is very important but actually to get a full life you have to have all of these different things and um I've interviewed quite a few people and at least two people on Flow. And all, Flow is like really popular at the moment. You, you must have obviously heard of Flow as well, yep. where you've got this, how you operate during your, your life and op, you, know, you get into a flow. And I think that comes through from your book as well, is to try and live life profitability in a, in a really good flow that encapsulates your entire being and your entire life. Yep. Uh, I mean, to add to that, I think there's, there's two parts for me to that, at least, uh, Lawrence. I think the first part is, firstly, this notion of, I, I actually think that work-life balance is a, is a pursuit and a goal that doesn't serve people as well as I think it is, because mm. it firstly proposes that, you know, work and life are these completely separate things that can keep each other in balance, right? But they're not separate. We all know that a crappy day at work kind of leads to arguments at home later on, or kind of being short the kids, just like, you know, a crappy weekend away with the family, you know, does not get your Monday off to the best start. So these things aren't independent. So I think when I think about flow in that kind of you know, uh, context, 
it is about saying, you know, work is only part of life and all of those other things, regardless of what they are for every listener, right? Is like, you need, that's the kind of balance you, you need, need to find. And then mm. making sure that there's an interplay and an energy kind of as you move between those different states. Like, I think that is a way to, if you remove friction by kind of, you're going from work to life, um, you know, or family to home, to hobby, to friends, to community, whatever those things is, like if you remove the friction and you don't propose that these are isolated things, that's when you build flow. So I think that's the first part thereof. The other part of it, I think is all around, you know, when we serve, when we can identify our, our highest values, those highest values are generally very close to our nature and our core as unique individuals. Mm. And again, like same thing, I think that just generally means like everyone knows you're like, there's things that you love to do in you know day and those things energize you. Right. And then there's stuff that you hate doing like washing the dishes. Right. And that doesn't energize you necessarily. So yeah. like, if you want to get, if you want to get to flow, stick to doing the things that are closer or are your highest values effectively. Mm-hmm. I agree. So in your book, you know, you talk about life profitability, profitability as being concepts of time, money, and happiness. And can you take us through how those relate, your, your time concept and the money concept and the happiness and how they, you know, I'm going to repeating my question, I guess, but can you talk to us about that? <laughs> totally. So I think if we take those three components um, mm. of time, money, and happiness, those are generally kind of the, the things that people trade for the other, right? So if you think through the typical kind of entrepreneur that starts their journey makes all these kind of short-term compromises, sacrifices for this hopeful, optimistic, long-term gain. They're essentially kind of you know, trading time and energy for money and eventual kind of happiness. Right? Yeah. And I think part of that equation journey is the narrative that once you have money, then you can buy happiness, right? Like once you're, you know, a multimillionaire or billionaire, you can totally buy, buy happiness. And I, which creates this kind of interplay where, where, again, if you talk about balance at least or how to sequence those things, like that's why those three things are so important. I think the crucial thing, though, is that it is very like it is. Yes, it's possible to use money to buy back some of your time. Right? And especially in, in, in your work, for example, like you can totally hire an assistant right, to do some yeah. things and buys back some of your time and you get to reinvest that. But that only takes you that far. And crucially, what I like in in the part of the book where I touch on these three, you know, three things, what I actually hope to get the you know the reader to or anyone to is just this notion of kind of I don't think money ever kind of buys you happiness, right? And as I said, like to some like there's a limit to the amount of time you can buy back with with money as well. Mm. Which means those things should like all three of those things should be pursued in parallel, right? I don't think they should be sequenced because I think that's where we get into the risky area of not being able to actually achieve those things. Yeah. And, and then you also talk about purpose in Ikigai, which means reason for being in Japanese. And I, I've done a lot of studying into purpose and I've interviewed a lot and a lot of purpose, uh, people around purpose in Ikigai. Uh, could you tell us about the importance of that in a person's life, about having a North Star and how it defines you and, and you know, how you operate in that? Yes, so I I stumbled onto the concept. So the concept, Japanese concept, um, and I stumbled onto it um, in an article um, in a study that where the kind of the author and the researchers proposed that kind of the, the Japanese as a culture 
they don't necessarily believe in retirement, right? Kind of people yeah. continue working you know, beyond like into kind of beyond 65 or whatever kind of the, the average supposed retirement ages in, in the Western world. And they do, they don't necessarily work at the same productivity or the same levels that they used to, but they continue working. And the reason they continue working is they find purpose and meaning in that, which they kind of the study, and this is the part of, um, the, the research part of the study, at least, is then proposes that because those elderly people or older people stay active, they actually have, um, they, they become much older, right? They live for much longer than kind of the average life expectancy in Western countries. Mm. And I found that fascinating, right? Because then if you overlay kind of guy with that, which just proposes, and if I remember it correctly, completely, it's essentially kind of, figuring out a diagram to help you figure out like, um, you know, what, what do you kind of you love to do? What can you get paid for? Um, what, um, you, what are you good at and what is good for the world, right? Like those four kind of your quadrants and it kind of overlays things. And I, I just love that idea because it is just a model to help you find what that kind of real purpose and meaning is in your life. So I love like that story and how having that, that version, you know, for me, I would use different words. Like for me, it's about figuring out like, how do I manifest the truest version of myself? Like every single day, um, you know, from today going forward, like that's mm. my kind of purpose of being on, on this earth. But I think again, like that creates so much aligned and efficient energy to feel all of these things that kind of, we want to achieve. We want to kind of hope for, we want to want to strive for. Absolutely. I, you know, I also love the Ikigai uh, model. And so you're absolutely right. It's what are you good at? What do you love? What the world needs? What are you paid for? And then that's your passion, mission, vocation, and profession, which is your Ikigai. But you, you explained it so well. And the la- maybe the last question about your book is uh, chapter 10. So we're getting to the end of your book, which is increasing your life profitability quotient. Can you maybe give us some pointers around someone listening to this podcast and they say, look, I've got to try and get my life back in balance. It's out of control. How, how would you say to someone like reassessing their life and, and trying to get their life into some kind of balance? Totally. So I think the, the first thing Lawrence, that I want to do with the book is I want to acknowledge that most people that are stuck on some kind of hamster wheel that they're running, um, mm. they likely already have never ending to, you know, to-do lists. And I didn't want to write a book that adds you know, more kind of to-dos to this because that would just aggravate <laughs> yeah. the problem. So a big part of the kind of the, the worksheets included in the book and the kind of the process to start pursuing greater life profitability is this notion of finding finding some space in your life and then using that space to reinvest elsewhere in your life. And that's how you create kind of progress. And the, the way I would think about that is, I think at a start is really just defining what your life portfolio looks like, right? So for me, my life portfolio includes things we've spoken about. My my work, right? My ambition, like the need to create, um, my family and a home life. Mm. It includes wine on the opposite kind of end of that spectrum. As a kind of, <laughs> yeah. It's maybe a, a, a less significant thing, but it needs to be there, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, it includes characteristics, you know, that's part of my nature, my, my thirst for learning, my need to take on challenges, et cetera. So, Every individual will have their own kind of definition of what that life portfolio kind of looks like. But the key there is to be truly aware of that, what that actually is. And that life portfolio will be really kind of, will, should resemble your highest values, right? Like should be really, really close to your highest values. 
And then once you have that life portfolio is like building that the quotient effect, you know, effectively is just making sure that you're making the necessary investments across that whole portfolio. And you, you stay aware. It's not about measurement or tracking as much, but you mm. stay aware of when you are neglecting any kind of one of those kind of stocks in, in that life portfolio, because then you can take those smaller incremental kind of, um, you know, actions that changes, you know, proactively changes the status quo and, and not get yourself into the situation I was a couple of years ago where I had to be very reactive when my life had already started falling apart um, and, and where I ran the risk of, and, you know, kind of in all honesty, where I had to rely on the grace um, and forgiveness of others in my life to allow me to kind of make amends for the life costs that, that I'd caused both for myself and, you know, and for them. So really kind of pursuing life profitability is, is that kind of small iterative proactive changes that serves that life portfolio and then totally avoids running that risk of having to make those 180 degree turns, which I think is, is always going to be very, very risky. Um, Eddie, can you, like to end off the book, could you tell us what lifeprofitability.com um, website, so there's a website that goes with the book um, and it's lifeprofitability.com. What, what can people find if they, if they go to that website? Yes, so um, currently you'll find that 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 should if it if it doesn't then um, then I'm not a good techie here, but it should link to the kind of book page um, on my personal blog, which um, has a few testimonials and kind of links to um, other kind of press appearances and stuff that I've done. But I think crucially, what I would probably say is there you know for anyone that you know wants to get to know a little bit more about me, um, I think that site includes the last eight or nine years of kind of writing uh, online. Um, so there's a whole kind of maybe a treasure trove or kind of you know, loads of skeletons in the closet for those that want to kind of discover that. And then I think a future kind of you know, a vision here is I am also building my new business in public, which means I am sharing all the behind the scenes things as I'm building Cogsy and doing that to essentially keep myself accountable and to show mm -hmm to the world that I'm not just proposing this idea or ideology of life profitability, but that I can also actually build a business that is truly life profitable. And I see that you've also got a podcast, Life Profitability Podcast. Is that yes. something you've been doing for a while? Kickstarted last year. Um, we're on hiatus uh, at this stage purely because um, in, in terms of me balancing kind of where my energy flows at this stage, like that is not the highest priority, but I've interviewed 20 incredible individuals, mm. diverse individuals that not just entrepreneurs, you know, you know anything from, um, you know, entrepreneurs to authors, to musicians, um, to, uh, you know, kind of uh, comic or kind of children's book illustrators, but effectively yeah. anyone that creates things, puts them out in the world and has, or at least outside perspective, has some idea of what they want their kind of that creation to say about their identity, their values, their beliefs, um, and really just trying to tap into kind of, you know, what makes ambitious, successful people tick, right? Yeah. Um, but as I said, not in terms of habits and blah, blah, really kind of, you know, coming down to that identity kind of values, um, because that part, I wanted to learn more relative to kind of and how that plays into life profitability as well.
Hmm. Well, I'll have the links in the show notes to your website and to the podcast. And definitely listen to some of the 20 that you got. Very interesting guests about green tea and fear and starfish around the world and <laughs> all sorts of different things in here. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's definitely very diverse. And I, like, I purposely wanted to do that. Um, That's awesome. Is to just find people from, from all over and not just celebrate the individuals that often get celebrated in kind of mainstream media, but really kind of give... Um, you know, more kind of more you know broader, um, you know, definition to what success actually means. That's fantastic. And, and lastly, uh, Coxie, uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit about Coxie? Is it is it still in development or is it is it operational? It's it's e-commerce to do uh, manage products and inventory and those kind of things. Yes. Yeah, so I like if there's one thing, Lance, that I've, that I've learned, um, again, like sticking close to the things that you understand um, is, <laughs> is well, you know, at least works for me. So, yeah. yes, you know, Cogsy, uh, the aim there is to help e-commerce brands uh, make better purchasing decisions, smarter, accurate kind of purchasing decisions awesome. relating to their inventory um, and optimizing their working capital. It is very, very early stages at this stage. We've got a handful of pilot customers. So the product isn't publicly available to that extent just yet, but we recently raised a, a, a bit of capital, which I'll be announcing very shortly as well. So the kind of um, the car is well fueled for uh, kind of a, a long and adventurous journey ahead at this stage. Cool. I'll definitely bookmark it and come back to it regularly. And um, what are you, what are your what are your plans for two thousand twenty one? Obviously, marketing and the book and doing Cogsy and making nice wine or drinking wine. Any other plans for twenty one? I mean, wine is definitely part of it, right? Um, <laughs> no, like honestly, Lance, I think at this stage, um, you know, if, you know, I think just given the kind of you know, broader sense of what the pandemic has done is. Mm. I think it's much harder to plan ahead. Um, so for me, it really is just shift, you're shifting your narrative and you know focusing on the things that that I know are important today, right? And that's for me. That is you've mentioned building the business, kind of you know getting the ideas of the book out there, but really showing up as you know as a spouse to my wife, as a dad to my kids, as yeah. a friend to to much to, to my friends, and just trying to do that on a on a, on a daily basis. So no big plans but a true commitment to, to kind of, um, you know, being present and, um, you know, present every single day and being aware of what that life portfolio of mine looks like on a daily and weekly basis. Wow, that's fantastic. That's pretty much what I'm trying to do as well. So thank you so much for joining us today, AD. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for your book. I really enjoyed it. And I must I read it again. I must do the 90, you know, the 90 day challenge or the, the worksheets. I must go through that on a regular basis. So the book is called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success and a fantastic book. And I have, I'll have all your details in the show notes, your, your podcast, um, your LinkedIn. Um, I'll have link to your LinkedIn and uh, all sorts of things and the Life Profitability website. But thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you taking your time. Awesome. Thanks, Lance. And uh, good luck for, um, you know, building your new business. You mentioned, you know, starting your new business recently. Oh. Uh, good luck. Good luck with that. And, and don't forget the life portfolio as you start kind of your building and growing the business. Well, the, 
the funny thing is, I didn't work out for me because, and I, I completely blame the pandemic. It, you know, obviously, it was nothing to do with me. It was to do with the pandemic that had never really uh-huh. came off. Uh, of course, if there hadn't been any pandemic, I would have been a millionaire by now, but I'm not. And so, <laughs> so, so I've gone back to a normal nine to five sales job, and I'm finding that even more stressful than owning a business, actually being a salesperson. <laughs> but anyway, I need, I need to um, take stock in every area of your life and try and get the, the stage of the life to try and get balance. So thank you, Adi, again. Yeah, totally. I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za and the website is www.ideastorm.co.za or you can go to the businessbookshelfpodcast.com. So until next time, goodbye. Thanks, Eddie. Bye. Ciao, ciao.